Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. So this morning, like Melissa read, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, um, starting in verse 26. And what we're looking at this morning has historically been called the Annunciation, which means the announcement. And this is when the angel Gabriel comes to uh, Mary and announces to her or reveals to her God's plan. God's plan was to send his long-awaited Messiah into the world through her. And uh, this occurred probably about 6 B.C. Jesus was born in, it's mind-blowing, but he was born in 5 B.C. I know, that's kind of freaky. He was born five years before Christ. But he was. Our calendar's wrong. It's not his fault. It's, it's our fault. We got the calendar wrong. But he was born about 5 B.C., so this would have been in 6 B.C. He was born in the spring, not in December. We just made that a convenient time to do it. Um, but uh, this is an announcement to a woman that's an unlikely choice. Mary's an unlikely choice to be the one that would bring the Messiah into the world for a few reasons. What do we know about her? We know it says in the passage that she was a virgin betrothed. Betrothal was a, uh, the first step in a two-step process of marriage. So about a year before the actual wedding ceremony, they would agree to get married. There was a promise to be married. It was called betrothal. But it was more than our um, modern engagement. It was legally binding such that if Joseph wanted to call this off, he would have to actually divorce her. So it was this two-step process. They're in the first step of the process, betrothal. About a year later would be the actual wedding. That's when she would actually go home with him and, and live as his wife. We know that she was very young. We know that in that time period, um, girls could be betrothed as early as 12 years of age. And we don't know for sure that Mary was that young, but she could have easily been like 14. And so that puts a real context to this whole story, doesn't it? Um, we know that she was a virgin. Now, the word virgin can mean different things in different contexts, and it even does throughout Scripture. Sometimes it just means a young, unmarried woman without reference to her uh, sexual history. But, um, but Luke doesn't mean it that way. Luke means that she has never been sexually intimate with a man. And we know that from verse uh, 34. When she's told she's going to have this son, she says, how, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the, the Greek is that she doesn't know a man. So she's saying, how could this happen? We know that she's from a nothing town. I mean, Nazareth was not a place that most people that were reading this originally would have been familiar with. It was a tiny little town north of Jerusalem in the region of Galilee. It's a region that Nathaniel said when he heard that they had found the Messiah and that he's from Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said? He said, what good could come from there? I mean, this is a town that nobody thought much of. And we know that she was poor. We have hints of that throughout the text. And yet this girl, this, this poor unmarried girl in this nowhere town, unknown person is visited by the most, one of the most powerful and prestigious beings in the universe, the angel Gabriel. Now, who is he? We know that angels are uh, beings that have been created by God. They're sentient beings. They're beings that have mind, will, emotions created by God. They, don't, they are created to serve him. They're created to serve his people. Um, they don't have physical bodies like we do, but they have you know, emotional lives and, and wills and they're real, you know, beings that have relationships with each other. And we know that Gabriel is a particularly high-ranking angel. While angels are depicted like in Isaiah 6 as flying around God with, you know, wings to cover their eyes and their feet because of their um, unworthiness, it's said of Gabriel that he stands in the presence of God. So this is an angel of very high-ranking. He has direct access um, we know he was sent on important missions. We know in Daniel, about 600 years before this, he went to go see Daniel and he went to go tell him um, prophecies. We know that he was busy this recent, in the recent past because he, he visited Zechariah. 
who would be the father of uh, John the Baptist and announce that they're going to have a child. And when we think of angels, guys, we can't think of the chubby baby with wings Hallmark angel, okay? That's not what we're talking about. I don't know where that started, but it wasn't Hallmark that started. It probably started in the Middle Ages or something. These chubby babies with wings, that's not what Gabriel was. We're talking about one of the most powerful creatures in the world. This, when Gabriel showed up, people melt in fear, okay? You don't melt in fear. Well, I guess I'd be pretty freaked out if, you know, I saw a chubby baby with wings. That would freak me out too. But he is, you know, a powerful creature. Even his greeting in verse 28, he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That even that friendly greeting is met with fear and confusion. To where Gabriel says in verse 30, he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He's saying, don't be afraid. You are the object of God's favor, the object of God's grace. You are a recipient of God's gift. He's saying, don't be afraid. I have a gift for you, right? So this morning, we're looking at what is that gift that she received, the reason she was so blessed, and how how did she receive it? So what's the gift? How is it received? Firstly, what's the gift? Um, The angel Gabriel said that she found favor. What's the gift? Look at verse 31. This is the gift. For behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This gift is a son, and no ordinary son. We're going to look at this son, what he does and who he is. First, what did he do? Look at verse 32. This is what Mary's son will do. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God will give Mary's son the throne of King David. And this is to make good on a promise, guys. We talked about this last week. But this is to make good on a promise that God made to David a thousand years before this. And it was to David, it was a promise in 2 Samuel 7, that his house and his kingdom would endure forever. And that somebody would reign on David's throne. One of his sons would reign on his throne forever. And now that would have been partially fulfilled through Solomon. But Solomon dies, right? It was for a short period of time. The, The full fulfillment is Jesus, the Messiah, that he would come and reign on. David's throne forever, and they would usher in the kingdom of God on earth that would never end. And there were a lot of people during Jesus' time that were expecting something. They were expecting a Messiah to come and, uh, and bring in an earthly kingdom and get rid of the Romans and make things right. And I hear some people sometimes talk about that the mistake they made is they thought Jesus wanted to bring an earthly kingdom when he really wanted to bring a spiritual one. But that's not true. Jesus does intend to bring an earthly kingdom. He just wasn't going to bring it that soon. It's a process by which he's doing this. Um, So they weren't wrong to expect an earthly kingdom. They were just expecting it too small and too soon. Because Mary's son is going to have bigger fish to fry than just the the Roman occupation. He's going to go after every um, dictator, whether human or demonic. And, And Mary's son has a bigger claim to land than just the land of Israel, right? He's coming to rule from sea to sea. And so Christmas, guys, is a bold declaration. It's a bold declaration that this world's dictators, whether they're human or demonic, are living on borrowed time. Because King Jesus is coming, and he's going to reign on earth, and he's going to set all things right. He's going to bring the joy of his kingdom to all people. That's what Mary's son will do. You're going to have a son, he's going to do this. It's amazing. And then we got to think, too, like, who is Mary's son? I mean, the fact that he can reign forever. She had to be wondering, like, how am I going to have a a human child that's going to be able to reign forever? So who is he? Look at verse 32. Mary's son will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Uh, Mary's son will be both a human male child that will grow up to be a man and also the eternal son of God. 
You might ask, like, how can this be? And that's what she asks, too, right? She goes, how can this be? Her issue, though, is how can this be because I'm a virgin? You know, she's thinking to herself, you know, I had that class in seventh grade last year. I know how this works. How is this going to be? How could a virgin possibly have a child? And Gabriel answers in verse 35. He says, the Holy Spirit will, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, that will be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And then he says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. There's this real theme in Scripture, isn't there, about um, infertility, about couples not being able to have children and waiting long, long periods of time, and then finally God gives a son. Can you guys think of a few? There's, yeah, Abraham with Isaac. There's um, Samson, right? There's uh, Samuel. There's even in this chapter, there's um, John the Baptist was a child that they waited a long time for. And this infertility tension that happens throughout the Old Testament isn't just because people naturally want children and it's hard when they can't have them. It is that. But it's also that they were made a promise that one day one kid that was born out of that nation would be the Messiah. And so to have problems of not being able to have children creates um, an angst within these couples, but it also creates an angst within the people. How will God's promise be fulfilled? I mean, in Genesis 3.15... When, um, when God uh, put a curse on Satan, on the serpent, he made this promise. He said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. They expected that one day a child would come to defeat the rule of sin and Satan in the world. That a child would be born that would somehow battle with the ancient serpent, with Satan, and defeat him and rescue his people. And so they're waiting for that child. And you had to imagine that the first child that Adam and Eve had, right? They thought, okay, you know, we have this baby. We'll name him Cain. He, maybe he's the one. He was clearly not the one, right? And then there was another one and another one. And they're waiting, like, when's this child going to be born that's going to rescue us from our sin? And this, this story here of, of Jesus' birth is way bigger than any of those infertility stories, you know? Even Abraham and Sarah had a baby when they were 100, you know, it says in the New Testament that they were good as dead, you know, which is a real friendly way to talk to people that are 100. Um, but Gabriel is talking about more than that. He's talking about a virgin conception. Look again at 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This text tells us that this virgin conception, um, that the human being that came from this would also be holy and the Son of God. That child that Mary carries for nine months and then raises in her home and grows up to be her adult child is actually also the eternal Son of God. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Like that's who she's going to carry in her womb. And when, when Jesus came, it wasn't just God pretending to be a man. I think sometimes we have that impression that it's God pretending to be a man. He kind of puts on like a, a man suit. You know, and walks around. He's really, I'm all God inside, but boy, I look like a man on the outside. That's not what's going on here. The New Testament makes clear that Jesus was and is currently 100% a human being. A real homo sapien. You realize that? And that, that not only did he have a real human body, but he had a real human mind, will, and emotions. We see that throughout Luke. We see that throughout Hebrews. In Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom. How is that possible? I mean, I just told you this is God the Son as a human, and he grows in wisdom. I mean, one question I like to ask people, which is fun to ask, is when Jesus the baby was in the manger, and he's sitting there, and he's looking up, you know, that blank stare that all babies have, right? Is he having baby thoughts or God thoughts? 
It's an interesting question, isn't it? It says in Luke that he grew in wisdom. You know, but on the flip side, we can't say that somehow he gave away his deity, that somehow he swapped his deity for humanity. He definitely didn't do that. In his earthly life, he remained 100% God. He doesn't swap his deity for humanity. He added humanity to his deity. And so he's both 100% man, 100% God. He was, he was so much God, 100% God, that Paul could say that that real human blood that was on the cross, that had a particular blood type and everything, that was stained on that wood, uh, Paul says in Acts 20, 28, that it was God's blood. Isn't that intense? So this is the God-man. What you have in the historical Jesus who lived in Israel from 5 BC to about 33 AD is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. The Son of God who had no beginning... But yet the incarnate Son did have a beginning. And that miraculous work occurred by the Holy Spirit, by the virgin conception, about 6 BC in the womb of this unmarried Jewish teenage peasant Mary. So that's the blessing. You know, that's the huge honor that she's receiving. And there's been a lot of drama about this, guys, throughout, you know, time. Uh, well, throughout the last 2,000 years, especially early in the last century, a lot of drama about how, you know, how could this happen? And you might even be thinking like, Eric, come on. You know, I know that you, you know, you're a veterinarian, you, you're a science person, like, you don't actually believe in the virgin conception, do you? I, I don't believe in them generally, but I believe in this one, guys. It's really what it comes down to. It comes down to a worldview issue, right? Uh, Gabriel said, nothing will be impossible for God. If you believe in God that made this whole world and all the things that aren't in this room, in this world, and then all the worlds we know and don't know, you guys go on like NASA website and look at all the stuff. I mean, it's crazy. There's worlds beyond worlds beyond worlds like that you could go to if you had enough time and the ability to travel there. And, and we won't even see all of them. If, if you believe in a God that made all those things, then you probably don't struggle with this. You probably think, yeah, he could do that. Now, if you're a materialist, though, if you're someone who believes that matter is the only thing that exists and there is no God, then you're not going to believe this. And so we end up in this situation where I have to explain to you where a baby came from, but you have to explain where the universe came from. Okay? So you have the bigger issue. Okay? As one author put it, Christians believe in the virgin birth. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. It's a bigger issue, right? And he says, choose your miracle. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. The virgin conception of Jesus, guys, was a, also an act of new creation. This is kind of a really cool idea, just to think about God. This is an act of new creation as he's doing this. He didn't create Christ's divine spirit like he was eternally existent, but he creates this body, he creates this human being, he combines the two. This is an act of new creation that's occurring in this old world of sin and death. And what it is, is it's an indication he's not done. This new creation that he's starting, which you're now a part of if you're in Christ, is going to take over the whole world. He's going to make all things new. And so this is the huge honor of what's happening in Mary. This all starts in her body. Isn't that wild? And that's why he says you're so blessed. It all starts in her. She will bear the God-man. The Council of Chalcedon in, in, in 451 said this, called Mary the God-bearer, you know? She's the one that carried God, the Son of God, in her body. Um, Elizabeth says something real similar in verse 42. She cries out with a loud voice, and she, she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
This gift is a massive blessing and a massive honor. But it's also massively dangerous. Have you guys thought about that? Have you guys thought about the danger of what Mary's being offered here? I mean, here is a young, poor, powerless, unmarried girl. She lives in a culture where you can get killed if you're seen as being a loose, immoral woman, which is what they assumed, right? There's a long-standing Jewish tradition that views Mary that way. This is a dangerous mission she's taking. And remember, she's like 13 or 14 years old when she's being offered this mission. Do you know how Revelation 12 depicts this whole thing? Revelation 12 depicts this whole thing combined with a spiritual vantage point and this highly figurative, dramatic language. But this is how Revelation 12 depicts her mission. It says this, And I saw a great sign appear in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet. And on her head were twelve stars, And she was pregnant and crying out with birth pains and agony to give birth. And then I saw another sign appear in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, which is what he speaks of Satan, with seven heads and ten horns, and on each head were seven diadems. And with his tail he swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to earth. And then listen to this. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, the one who would rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she was prepared a place by God. Isn't that wild? That's what's happening in the spiritual dimension, where Mary is coming in and offered this this blessing. Mary and everyone close to her, guys, would be at risk. If she takes this on, she's putting herself at risk. She's putting her betrothed uh, future husband at risk and everybody around her. They would be hunted. They would be hunted by the forces of evil, both human and demonic. You think about like the Magi, right? They, they see the star. They kind of, they're these weird people. They're like these astrologers. They're the weirdest characters. And so they kind of hear that there's this king that's going to be born. And so they come, right? They come to Herod. They go, where's the king that's going to be born? We want to worship him. And he's like, I'm the only king I know about. And what he does is he puts together a plan to kill Jesus as a child. He's like, I'll find him and I'll kill him. He actually decides to kill a whole generation of little children trying to make sure that he would destroy him. They end up having to flee to Egypt. You guys see how impossibly dangerous this mission is that she's being given? This little, you know, this little Jewish peasant girl. It'd be so easy for Jesus or the family to die before he lives that beautiful life he needs to live and offers himself in just the right place at just the right time to make atonement for our sins. And by accepting this mission, Mary put herself in incredible danger. Remember, she's a teenager. She's maybe 14 years old. She's going to be pregnant out of wedlock um, by a virgin conception. You know, who's going to believe that? Um, She has to give birth in a stable I mean, think of all the ways this could tragically end. And, and realize, guys, that this is consensual. I think sometimes we hear this story and we think that Gabriel's announcing what God already did. She, he's announcing what God will do. She's being offered an opportunity to be a part of this. She has that choice. This is a consensual deal. And so how does she receive it? Look at verse 30, 38. So cool. Mary says this to all this. She knows some of these dangers and she says this. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Guys, that is amazing, rugged faith, right? From basically a kid, right? This is amazing, rugged faith. She agrees to it. She's an amazing model of faith. And Mary, guys, and we all know this, gets very little, um, she gets very little attention and very little mention amongst non-Catholics like us, right? 
I mean, how many sermons have you heard about the faith of David or Abraham or Peter or Paul? A lot, right? How many sermons have you heard about the faith of Mary? It's very few in my experience. And that's probably due to an overreaction to the Catholics' excessive veneration of Mary. I mean, the Catholic teaching is that not just that Mary is a model of faith and to be admired and imitated, but also that she was also born by a virgin conception. You guys realize that? Catholic teaching is that not only was Jesus born by virgin conception, but Mary was too. And I don't know how far that goes back, you know. You kind of keep needing to do that or something. I don't know. Um, that she lived a sinless life and that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life, even though Scripture talks about the brothers and sisters that Jesus had. And that she is a mediator between us and God. But guys, we should not overreact in the other direction. You guys realize that a lot of accidents on the freeway happen through overcorrection, right? Somebody kind of starts to veer towards you and you do this, and then you go like right into somebody else's car, right? And just like too many accidents happen through overcorrection on the freeway, they happen in theology too. And they happen in Christians' lives. So we shouldn't let this overreaction take us over here because Mary is at least as much of an example to us of faith as Abraham and David and Peter and Paul. And we have a real opportunity to learn from her here. Um, not just her courageous faith, you know, you know, I'm your servant, do to me according to your word, but also her humble joy. I mean, Mary is so moved by the blessing of this, by the honor of this, that she doesn't really seem to take into account the dangers. She's like, this is such a great thing. And she's so happy, she's like, hey, I've got a song about it. You see that? Like, you look here, that's why this is formatted this way. This is a song, right? This is a, like a Disney musical. I'm not really into musicals, but this is great. So he's talking, he's like, you know, what do you say? You know, let it be done to me. I've got a song about it, you know? And here's her song. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my soul rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate as his servant. And for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know, where does this joy come? Where does this excitement come from? Where does this happiness come from? It comes from realizing that God in his mercy has given her a gift, the gift of being chosen to be the mother of her Savior. And she's just amazed that God's the kind of God who gives amazing gifts to those who have nothing and deserve nothing. She says that she has nothing. She looks in verse uh, 48. It says, he has looked on my humble estate. You know, she's young. She's unknown. She's poor. She's, she's a nobody. And she knows that she deserves nothing. Like multiple times she talks about that God gives gifts in his mercy. This is a gift of mercy. She wasn't even looking for this. She didn't apply for this. You know, she didn't see something online and, you know, put in her stuff like I'd like to be. She wasn't looking for it. This is an act of mercy. God's the kind of God, guys, that gives amazing gifts to those who have nothing and deserve nothing. And Mary's blown away by this. She's like, how could this honor be on me? Look at verse 48. She goes, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. They're going to be like, man, you're blessed. You're lucky. Like, how did you get this deal? And she's like, I don't know. You know, he just came to me and, and he gave it to me and I didn't deserve it. And they're like, everybody's like, yeah, it's, just, it's a crazy thing. So Mary gets this massive blessing. She gets the blessing of being the mother of the promised Davidic king. Like, she gets to be in the royal family. She's a descendant of David, kind of like in the royal family. She gets to be the mother of the king, and not the mother of a king who reigns for like four years or eight years or 50 years, but the one that reigns forever. In the new heavens and new earth, and this Davidic king Jesus is reigning, that's her son. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And Mary gets to be the woman in the first promise of the gospel. 
Remember in, in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And it talks about a seed of the woman that will come and crush the head of the serpent. She gets to be the woman in that. You know, Jesus is that seed of the woman that, that comes and crushes Satan's head and, and delivers the world from his, his tyranny. But Mary gets to be the woman in that promise. It's amazing. Mary is, in a way, she's the better Eve. Where Eve distrusted God and became an instrument, kind of, in the destruction of the world, Mary trusts God and is allowed to be a part of God's plan to redeem the world. Where Eve failed, Mary was faithful. Mary gets to be the mother of our Lord. I mean, even saying that kind of language sounds like, to Protestants, people that aren't Catholic, sounds like a little extreme. Elizabeth said it when she was filled with the Holy Spirit, said that she is the mother of our Lord. And so Jesus, the God-man, was her child. For nine months, she carries God inside of her. And for many years after that, she has God, man, living in her household. And later on, that's the eldest son that she gets to rely on. You know, we think that probably what happened is Joseph passed away, her husband, and, and, and Jesus became that, that, that son that she relied on. She had to rely on a son who's God. This is a good deal, right? So Mary's humble joy, guys, guys, comes from realizing that she's been chosen to receive an amazing gift she doesn't deserve and didn't even ask for. And guys, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about that same God offering you an amazing gift of his son. The gift is this. The gift is that you would have Jesus as your savior. He grew up. He lived a perfect life of love. He offered himself as your substitute on the cross to pay the debt for all of your sin. Um, he defeated the power of Satan over you and over this world. You get to have him as your king who is coming to set the world right by bringing his kingdom in that will never end. Do we need that? 2016? We need that. Like, it's time for that, right? Um, and not only do we have a place in the kingdom, you get a place like Mary in the royal family. It says in Hebrews that he's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. You'll also, like Mary, get the benefit of having God dwell in you. Realize that? Jesus now lives bodily, guys, in the presence of the Father. But that same Holy Spirit who brought the life of the Son physically into Mary's body now streams Jesus' life into us. As Mary got to experience God living in her for those nine months, God's people, we get to experience God the Holy Spirit living in our lives, living in our bodies. We get to be bearers of God. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing gift. And the question I have for you this morning is, have you or will you take the gift of the Son today? And will you do it in spite of the dangers? Because I'm not going to tell you there's no dangers. You know, taking that gift for Mary was dangerous. It's going to be dangerous for you. It might be dangerous for some of your relationships. It might be dangerous, guys. It will be dangerous for your sin, for your idols, for some of the things that you hold dear. It may, at some point, it is for other people around the world, it's been dangerous to them physically. Will you take him with courageous faith like Mary and say, come what may? The terms are simple, guys. The terms are turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Because, guys, Mary is a picture of all those who receive the Son by grace. And then they find, after receiving him, that they were chosen for this. Isn't that interesting? And after you come to him, you realize, like, wait, you're behind all this. Like, you chose me for this. Like Mary, guys, we did not deserve him. Like Mary, we weren't even looking for him. Like Mary, we were chosen for him. Like Mary, all we can do is worship in humble joy, saying, why me? Isn't that what we do when we worship? We say, why me? Just like Mary, why me? 
You know, I don't have anything amazing going for me. In fact, I've done a lot of things that would, that would disqualify me for this. And yet you've come to me offering me this gift. That kind of amazing God that gives that kind of amazing gift. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this season. Um, a season that um, we could miss you during the season. I mean, we could do all the Christmas things and, and completely miss the point, Lord. But in your grace, Lord, you've given us time. You've given us time to meditate on this. You've given us time to think about who is this child, the son of Mary. Father, we pray that you give us like faith, Lord. Give us courageous faith. Give us faith that only sees the blessing of your son, not the dangers, and is willing to throw everything aside to have him. Lord, he is the greatest gift. We're so thankful. You're such a merciful You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.